Okay, here we go. So this is uh, lesson two of um, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church member. Um, we are talking about the second mark, which is biblical theology and biblical theologians. Wanted to start by just doing a quick recap of sort of definitions about these things. Um, theology um, being defined as the study of God and religious belief. Um, a biblical theology, he's using that term in sort of a, a broad way, but it's basically the idea of how divine revelation has progressed over the course of the Bible, distinct from a systematic theology, which takes all the Bible and organizes it by what it says about various topics and categories of understanding, like the doctrine of man, the doctrine of God, the doctrine of Jesus, the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of the church, and the doctrine of the end times. Um also in distinction from something that we might call a historical theology, which would be to trace the development of the church's understanding of Christian doctrine throughout history. And so tracing it through um, movements in church history like the, the, the early church fathers, through the medieval times, through the Reformation, through the Great Awakening, and so on. So, um, so when he talks about, um, um, biblical theology, so he's, he's, he's mainly kind of thinking of it in this context. He's talking about this idea of tracing a line through scripture, um, following the, the, the main narrative, um, line of, of how God is, is revealing himself, um, throughout the entire Bibles and throughout the entire Bible. So sometimes that's done by following, you can do a biblical theology, by theme, okay? So something that we have had, like working with students, um, Lifeway puts out, has put out a curriculum in the past as a Sunday school cur- curriculum, which traces like the idea of redemption through the entire Bible. So they do like a year Bible study, 52 weeks of, of Sunday school, but every single week would basically show the progressive revelation of the understanding of what redemption meant in the Bible. Okay. And so talking about that from all aspects, like, you know, why do we need redemption and how is redemption accomplished and who is worthy to do it and, and, and showing Israel or or humanity's problem and Israel's inability and then, and then Christ's um, ability and all those things like that. But you could, you could create, uh, you could do lots of different themes. Um, you could do a biblical theology of creation, the idea of creation. You could do a biblical theology of the idea of judgment. And so those are all ways of doing a specific biblical theology. There's a book that came out a few years ago called, um, God's salvation through judgment, um, or something to that effect, right? And he was basically saying the main narrative theme, the, the, the theme that you follow that gives most, um, fullness to the scriptures is by understanding it to be a story about God saving people in the midst of judgment or whatever, right? So the people are being judged and God is going to bring us through that judgment into salvation. Um, that was the main idea. That's it right there. Yeah. Who's that by Hamilton? James. Yes. James Hamilton. Yeah. So that would be an, I, an, uh, it's, it's a, it's a pretty meaty book and a pretty zoomed in topic, right? But that would be an, a, a, a example of a biblical theology. I'm going to give you one at the end of the class that I think is very accessible. The book that was very, very, um, influential on me 
when I read it and also I've seen recommended by a number of people. So, um, but anyway, more generally, it's giving the f- and following the the main storyline of the Bible. Okay, so that's important because what that does is that gives you sort of like a structural framework for all the content of the Bible to be fit in. All right, so think about this in connection with last week's class. We talked about having an expositional um, preaching and expositional listening, right? That you're taking the Bible and you're reading it in the context of certain books and certain pericope and whatever, and you're, and you're reading through this, okay? So you read some passage that talks about um, uh, no longer having to obey the law, let's say, that, that, that we are not, uh, that we don't have to live according to the law or something to that effect. You find some passage that has the sort of that sentiment in the New Testament. Well, if, if the only passage that you ever read in the Bible was that passage, there would be a way in which you could probably teach it and preach it expositionally, but you might completely misunderstand what it is, the larger context of that concept within all of scripture, right? Like to do a good job of expositionally preaching, you really need to have the big picture and to understand the whole thing, um, or you're going to miss something. So, so a great example is this is one of the mistakes that young dudes in ministry or even just dudes in volunteer ministry or whatever make a lot of times. They're given an opportunity to preach or teach Sunday school class, whatever. And then they're, and then they go off on a lesson and they preach something, but it's out of whack, right? Like it's not, they don't always necessarily say something that's like just off base, completely false, but it's not nuanced enough because they don't have a broad enough understanding of, of the full scope of scripture. Um, so when I was in college, I went and served at a, a, uh, inner city mission one summer and we had a camp that we would take all the kids in the inner city mission. We would go out to this camp out in the country and they had all the normal things, you know, swimming and archery and, you know, hiking and all those things like that. So, but they gave me the job of being the Bible lesson teacher in the morning, which I had never done. I'd never done anything like that. Right. And they gave me a theme and they were like, the theme of the weekend is faith, hope, and love. Okay. So what I did, and they, and you know, the, the passage from, uh, first Corinthians. So what I did is for each of those lessons, I went to my concordance and I looked up the word faith and I looked up the word hope and I looked up the word love and I wrote down all of the references there. And then I went to those places in scripture and and I read those verses and I made comments about it. Okay. The problem was, is that I had absolutely no idea the context of most of those verses, even within their own chapters in the Bible. Like I didn't know the bigger picture of those passages, what he was talking, whatever. And so it's funny because years later I went back and looked at that lesson and I was like, like half the stuff I said didn't even make any sense because I was just trying to piecemeal these things together. Right. But the reason for that is because while I may have been attempting to do something expositionally in a sense, I, I didn't have a larger biblical theology to to plug it into and make it make sense. And so that keeps us from getting goofy on um, on how we understand specific passages throughout the scripture because we've got a bigger framework for how we understand the larger story of the scriptures. 
Um, yeah. So, so uh, an example he gives, um, and he zooms in in the book where he talks about doing a biblical theology basically centered around the character of God. And so he says, if you have, if, if you have basically these, if you know these five things about God and understand them biblically, then, then that will help you as you go throughout the scriptures, um, to see the larger context of, of how all this stuff works together. And so he basically talks about God being creator, God being holy, God being faithful, God being loving and God being sovereign. And so his attitude is, is if you use those as organizing principles, then anytime you come to something in the scriptures, right? Anytime you come to a passage and you go, all right, well, I, I don't understand what this means. I don't understand how it functions. I don't understand how it fits in with everything else. Well, if you know certain key things about God, then that will help you be able to not misunderstand the passage too much, right? So if you come to a story about God's um, uh, judgment, okay? Uh, maybe you come to a passage like uh, the, the famous one, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated, okay? So if you knew nothing else about God and came to a passage that said, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated, well, what would you think? You would think, okay, well, he loved Jacob and he hated Esau. He, he has a, maybe you, you would think that he has a capricious kind of, um, discriminatory hatred for people for no reason or random reasons or whatever else. And that, um, maybe you would think that Jacob had done something really good and maybe Jacob was just a really good, lovable person. And that's why God loved him. And Esau was a really hateful person. And that's why God hated him. Like you would have no categories to put these things into because you don't know the character of God. You don't know anything about him. But if you knew that God was holy and sovereign and loving and faithful, um, then all of a sudden you would say, okay, well, I know things that can't be the case, right? Um, I know that um, certain things about this situation probably aren't true. And I know it probably that other things are true. And then you would be able to plug the information that you find in scripture into this framework. Okay. Um, that's only, that's one kind of biblical theology you do. I think the story of, of salvation, and we're going to talk about next week, the gospel, I think is sort of the ultimate, um, biblical theology. Okay. The message of the gospel of God, man, Christ response, you could say it, and then kingdom. Um, that's a, that's sort of the main story of the Bible. And so if you have this picture where you're like, all right, you have, you have God who has created everything and is in control of everything. He's a loving and just creator. You have mankind who are sinful rebels. You have, um, Jesus who is the perfect, um, savior from our sin. Um, we are called to turn to Jesus Christ in faith and repentance. And then we are, um, become citizens of the kingdom, this already not yet reign of Christ in our lives that is working itself towards, uh, you know, eternity or whatever. That's, that's the basic story of the Bible, right? That is the, that is a summary of the general plot from Genesis to Revelation. So that helps you plug things in. That helps you understand 
um, what everything else is talking about. Okay. And so again, he's basically just saying for a church to function well, like it has to have a broad understanding of the whole story. Um, it can't just go to each section and each book of the Bible and work through it, um, in a certain way. Just coming to mind all of a sudden, a great, another great example would be the book of James. Right, the book of James in the Bible. Okay, the book of James has some lines in it that are very difficult to understand, particularly if you don't know anything else about the whole rest of the Bible. Okay, so there it says in the book of James that um, that we are essentially justified by our works. That it is not faith alone that saves us, but it is obvious that we are justified by what we do. Okay. Well, the writings of Paul would speak exactly the opposite of that, okay? So then you go, all right, well, one of two things is true here. Either James is contradicting the Bible, which would not make any sense if we understand that God is consistent and God is unchanging and that they must be the, you know, there, there's not going to be, he's not going to change his mind midstream or something like that. So then what's going on? Well, is James not supposed to be in the Bible? That's what some people's conclusion has come to along throughout the years. They've said, yeah, I don't think this is actually revelation. It couldn't be because it doesn't match up with the rest of the things that we know to be revelation. So what's going on there? Well, I think the right answer is to say, no, James is speaking in a certain way and using these terms in a certain context. And he's not using them in the exact way and context that Paul's using them in. So they're really talking about two different things. And so it seems like they contradict each other, but they don't. Um, they're talking about things from a different angle, and both of them are accurate. And we would see that if, as we as we see the larger picture of, of the scriptures. But man, some of you guys, even over the years, have come to me with that very question about the book of James and said, what does this mean? But this does not match up with the general picture of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus that you have always taught and we have seen played out in the Bible, particularly in the writings of Paul. So what does this mean? Well, you need a bigger theology for that. You need to understand the, the bigger picture of all the scripture to understand what he's talking about. Because the reality is this. Every single one of us is going to interpret those things in some way. We're all theologians. Um, there's no such thing as a person who's not a theologian. You might want to say that, and you probably do in certain contexts where somebody asks you about something in the Bible or about spirituality or something like that, and you go, well, I mean, I'm not a theologian, but this is what I think, and this is what I think the Bible teaches. The truth is, is you are a theologian. Everybody's a theologian. Um, we all have thoughts about God. Um, we all think things. The question is not whether you are a theologian or not. The question is whether you're a good one or a bad one. And the truth is, is there are a whole lot of bad theologians in the world. There are a lot of people who have very foolish and muddled and contradictory ideas about God and life and man and sin and salvation and eternity and everything else. So there's a, a pastor, theologian, writer, commentary guy, R.C. Sproul, who probably many of you have heard of. And he makes the comment where he says, no Christian can avoid theology. Every Christian is a theologian, perhaps not a theologian in the technical or professional sense, but a theologian nevertheless. 
The issue for Christians is not whether we are going to be theologians, but whether we are going to be good theologians or bad ones. And I think that's the case. I was joking last week that India's got a shirt and it says theologian on it. Um, and, and, you know, you could, you could look at that shirt and go, ah, that's pretty pretentious kind of shirt, right? Like that's the kind of shirt you're making a statement with that shirt. But the truth is, is you're not really making a statement. You're basically saying something that is, is categorically accurate, um, that every single one of us are theologians. Um, and that this stuff is important. And so we should put energy into being good ones and not just, um, pop theologians or something for lack of a better word. Thoughts? I know after I just said that, if I asked you if you're a theologian or not, you're probably going to say, well, yeah, apparently I am. Actually, I can't say no now, but, but do you think of yourself in those terms? Myself hearing things and going, uh, I don't think that's what it says. Right. <laughs> and see, I would think I think you are a theologian, Julie, because I think you're somebody who is consistently thoughtful about about all of these things, right? Like you on a regular basis um are going, What about this? Um, what does this mean? Uh, what about this thing that these people over here do? Like, I have a friend who says this. What about that? Right? That's being a theologian. Um Yeah, the truth is, is that the Bible is a complex enough book that nobody is going to understand everything that it has to teach you ever, or at least this side of eternity, right? But again, that's sort of the point of a little bit of biblical theology is to say we don't have to have an exhaustive knowledge of the scriptures to be able to have a broad general and true understanding of the message of the Bible and to be able to, to plug information into it that we find in the scriptures. And so sometimes you'll hear people talk and it's accurate to say that the, the, the Bible, the message of the Bible is one that an, a child can understand, but also you could study it for the rest of your life and never plumb the depths of it. Okay. Um, and I, and that's accurate. So, So you are a theologian. We're all theologians. And and a church needs to be theolo- biblically, theologically sound. And church members need to be biblically, theologically sound. And that's what we're going to kind of look at right now, jumping into. So think about it like this. Um, and I'm going to jump ahead a little bit, too, as we shift between the books. So the nine marks of a healthy church. Those first three marks are... Um, uh, expositional preaching, biblical theology, and the gospel. So you could almost sort of think of it in a progression where you say expositional preaching is about taking the message of the Bible for what it is, right? God has intended a message in it. 
and we are going to take from it the message that he has intended. However, next step, biblical theology, if we zoom in too tightly, we may miss something or misinterpret something because we need a bigger picture to rightly understand those those smaller sections. So all of a sudden now, to do expositional preaching well, you need to have a biblical theology that you can plug all that information into. And then I would sort of say, and next week's lesson about the gospel is to say, and the primary, most central, basic line of story through the Bible is the gospel. And so, therefore, it is the core narrative that we need to have in place as we understand the rest of the Bible and then and then teach through it expositionally and plug individual pieces into. And that's why I think those three are all necessary. Like, if you skip any of them, then you're going to have a problem, and lots of churches do. Some churches get one piece and don't do the others, but you have to have all three of those at the beginning. So let's talk about, like, how... Um, biblical theologians um, serve the health of the church. Like, why is it a good thing? Why is it necessary? Why is it helpful to be, um, for you to be a biblical theologian, for the church to have a biblical uh, theology at its core? So one, it helps grow our reverence for God. So that is, I mean, pretty broadly, it would maybe seem obvious that the more we know about how God works and who he is and his character and his works and how he has revealed himself in scripture and in history, then the the more we know about him, the greater he will be for us, right? The more of him we will see, the more we will reverence him, the more we will worship him. And so... It's sad because I have known many people in my life who have basically had the attitude that I don't want to study theology because theology kills worship somehow. That when people start thinking and getting heady and, and, you know, um, forming opinions on things, then that interferes with the, the greater work of us all singing and and worshiping God. And the truth is, it's the exact opposite. Um, to know God more and more deeply will be the fuel for your worship and reverence of him, not the other way around. Now, again, that doesn't mean that there aren't dangers there, because, yes, as people know more about him, oftentimes they do form opinions and they, you know, have different opinions on different things and there can be some contradiction there and, and whatever. Um, that's the reason why we have denominations and that's the reason why we have different schools of theology and stuff. But in general, I would say it doesn't, it doesn't hinder reverence for God. It, it, it feeds reverence for God. Um, yeah. Would that possibly change the historical theology? Uh, it would be something that you would, that you would talk about in it, right? So it would be certainly something historical theology in many ways would be the story of how different people have understood the Bible in different ways. Um, right. But again, hopefully, like it still builds reverence, um, for God. Uh, hopefully, even if it builds a little bit accidentally or because people are being unloving and unkind, it builds some, division between people in there, hopefully it's still building reference reverence towards God. 
and y'all can y'all can kind of like just interject whenever you want to. Um, but I'll go on to the next one. It helps overcome our wrong ideas about God. That should be obvious that we all have lots of ideas about who God is and how he acts and what he does. And as we explore the Bible and see the way God works, we begin to go, oh, I was wrong about that. God is totally the kind of God who would do that. And I didn't think he was, and now I do, you know. Because, man, people have lots of wrong ideas about God. It's basically the default position of all humanity. And if you have a good biblical biblical theology, you'll realize that is. It's literally the story. That's the beginning of the story uh, is God creates us, and then we decide that we know better than him. And and so we start doing and thinking our own things about all of these issues um, and try to usurp his place in the universe. So if we are humble as we come to the word, then it helps us to overcome those wrong ideas about God. Um, it inoculates us against doctrinal controversies. So there are lots of little things out there. There are all kinds of things that the church is always talking about. And man, if you have a good biblical theology, you can just like come to some of these things and go, yeah, that's dumb. And I'm not even getting into that. Like, I don't even have to think about that. You know what? When, when Bethel started grave soaking, like that was not something that I had to go investigate. I didn't have to go, uh, if you don't know what that is. So people from Bethel church were going to the dead saints who had been good preachers or leaders or whatever and laying on their graves, um, trying to suck up their spiritual, uh, energy that was left over in their bodies somehow or whatever. And you know what? Do what? Well, I have never heard of that, but that is exactly it's it. What what you realize is when you listen to new age false religion principles, you realize, oh yeah, this idea is something that's coming into Christianity, not from Christianity, but from other sources. Well, guess what? It didn't take it. It didn't. I didn't have to consider those things. Um, I didn't have to go. You know, I wonder if there's something to this grave soaking phenomenon. You know why? Because I knew the Bible well enough to say that's not in there. Right. It's not something that we find. Um, I think so. That would be the only, that would be, that would be their one little nugget, um, between it. There you go. Yeah. That could actually touch his bones. I think also it's the idea they would, they, they do the D, the, um, because Elijah, Elisha, was given the double portion of Elijah's spirit or whatever, however, that there is, that's where they're getting these ideas. It seems like maybe I can get something from this other person in some way. But again, those would be like, those are, they're taking a nugget of something in the scripture and then building a whole goofy theology around it. Right. So, but knowing the Bible inoculates you from those things, right? Um, it, keeps you from um uh having to to worry and investigate to to a certain level on those things because you already know what those answers are um a, a, a 
cool aspect that probably most people don't think about when it comes to biblical theology is it's necessary for the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Think again, a lot of people would say the opposite. They would say, you know, we don't want to focus on theology too much. You know why? Because we've got a bigger and more important job. We need to fulfill the Great Commission. And all theology is going to do is divide us and take our focus off the Great Commission. Except the problem is, is that within the Great Commission, we're supposed to go and teach people everything that Jesus has commanded, right? That's part of the Great Commission. So we have to know what the everything that has been taught and commanded in Scripture for for us to accomplish the Great Commission. So um, So again, we can't do the main job that we're here to do, which is to to take the gospel to the world without knowing everything that Jesus has commanded or at least not do it completely or not do it well. And lastly, um, it deepens our understanding and facility with the gospel, right? So what happens is as we understand the Bible um, better, um, we understand how the gospel fits into everything um, and it, it just, it, it helps us to give, uh, it fleshes out the truth of the gospel. We see confirmation of the gospel. We see how all of these other things in the Bible fit into the gospel. Like the gospel becomes more rich and more full and more explanatory for us in, in all of life, um, as we understand the scriptures better. So some steps to becoming a biblical theologian. How can you be a biblical theologian? Again, I think these are probably pretty obvious. Um, they're what you would probably think already, even if you hadn't come in here, if I were to ask you the question. Um, one thing you can do is you can read some good books on biblical and systematic theology. Um, find some books that, that, um, you'll, that you can dig into, that you can learn from. I'll give you a couple of recommendations here in just a second. Um, But get some good books. Um, I think I think systematic theologies are great. Now they may be a little heavy, but a lot of times with a lot of different, particularly modern systematic theologies, is they they give you different levels of them. So a very popular systematic theology that is out there is Wayne Grudem's systematic theology. There's the big hunking one, right? Then there's one that's about half that size that is basically like a collegiate one. And then there's a book of about 120 pages with articles of about two to three pages a piece. That is the, um, the layman level or whatever, right? Now I would say, I would think that probably honestly, every single person in here would be capable of reading the big one, right? I don't think it, the, it wouldn't be a situation where you would read it and be like, I'm lost. I have no idea what's going on. Um, might have to learn a little vocabulary here and there and some things like that, but, but, but but the key would be is that you might not have time to dig into something a tome that that kind of big, and and you can get a pretty solid knowledge with something that's a little more um, concise. Um, but read good books about it. Um, another thing is study the scriptures thematically. So we talked about last week. So your bread and butter, right? Your primary diet for studying the scriptures is going to be book by book, passage by passage. That's the normal most central way of studying the scriptures. But another great way to do that 
is is study it thematically. So pick a topic and 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 go through the scriptures, learning what the Bible has to do, say about that. There used to be, I don't think they're as popular as they used to be, but you used to see them a lot. That these they were called Thompson Chain Reference Bibles. Somebody familiar with those? So what the Thompson Chain Reference Bible would do is it would have a um, you'd go to a verse and and then down in the notes, the notes for that passage would be a chain of other passages that you could then study alongside it. So you you know you'd read uh, Romans eight one right. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and you'd look down in the in the the notes, and it would tell you. It would show you other passages to go to that will flesh out an understanding of what it means that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What do we mean by condemnation? What do we mean about what Jesus has done? Why is there no condemnation? What is he, you know, and, and, and so essentially it was like small biblical theologies, um, in, in, uh, as, as a study note or whatever. So those are still around. You could probably find them. Um, but you don't have to do that. That way, you can do it on your own. Uh, we'll talk about it again here in a second, but the creeds are a great way to go about that. Um, most of, uh, so our creed, the New Hampshire Baptist Confession, um, or our confession, um, has Bible references, um, at least on the one that we have online after, I think that's right. Is it the one online? I can't remember if we ended up posting the one that had the, the Bible references or not, but, we can get you a copy um, that would have those. And so you pick a topic, election. You know, there's a, there's a section on election in, in the confession. Well, guess what? Down below it, it's got 50, 11 verses that tie into that thing. So you say, well, I don't know anything about election. Well, let's go to all the different places in the scripture that that um, substantively talk about election and trace that theme and see how that, the different ways that God talks about it. Um, that's a way of studying, growing in a, in a, in a biblical theology is by studying the scripture thematically. Don't stop reading it the way you're already reading it, I hope, which is, um, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. Keep on doing that, but, but supplement that by, by studying it thematically. Um, grow in your understanding of the connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Read good books about how the interplay between them about how the, the, you know, the, the new Testament is, is foretold in the old and the old Testament is fulfilled in the new. What are all the, the connections? Um, some of you have seen that graphic before they have online. That's really good where they have te- basically taken, they've made a graph where every single verse of the Bible is represented across a line graph. And then every time the New Testament references the Old Testament. They've drawn a line from that verse to that verse. And then when they did that, it, like it makes this beautiful mosaic looking thing of like these, you know, lines all over the place or whatever. And, and that, that is just a visual representation of the fact that man, the, the New Testament is referencing the Old Testament either literally or at least thematically like the whole thing is basically doing that. And of course it is because it's the fulfillment of the old Testament. And so find ways of learning about that. Learn the, the, the ways that those, the two are connected so that you can see the bigger picture and the arc of scripture. 
Again, know and support our creedal and confessional statements. Um, use those devotionally. Read them over and over again. Um, everybody here has to read it and go through it in the in the membership class. You know, you're asked in your membership interview if you've read through it and affirm it. But don't let that be the last time you ever engage with it. Um, go back and look at it. Think through it. Why did it, why was this wording used? Why did it say this? Why did they add this little phrase in there that seems like it isn't really necessary, but for some reason they put this little phrase in there? What is that implying? What is it adding to the larger picture of these things? Um, those are all good uh, questions to ask. And then you know what you can do? Go use somebody else's confession. Um, go use the, uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith or the Heidelberg Confession of Faith or the Southern Baptist Faith and Message or something and use those other ones to, to be a jumping off point of your study. Maybe you look at some and you go, why is this emphasized in this one and not over here? Oh, I see a difference between this one and this one because they obviously have different beliefs on that issue. Um, I think confessions are a useful, uh, and helpful tool for that. And then lastly, um, it, it's, it's helpful to av- avoid disputes. Um, we've talked about unity several times in the last few weeks in our, in our sermons. We're going to talk about it a little bit again tonight in the sermon tonight. Um, unity is a primary value of the church. Okay. We got to speak the truth in love. Um, but we also are supposed to be unified. We're supposed to find ways to, be on the same page with the same mission, the same energy, working towards the same goals. And this helps keep us from coming up with little dumb fights um, along the way that make us as a church um, disunified. So, so if we, if we know these things well, understand them well, or on the same page, um, then that's beneficial. So just kind of as a last little thing, these are two great books um, that I would recommend to all of you. Um, if you, you, you could, should get them and, and uh, they would benefit you. So the one on the left is a traditional biblical theology. Um, they are, uh, that's just two covers of the same book, but one's the old cover and one's the new cover. So that's, it's the book, According to Plan, The Unfolding Revelation of God in the Bible, by a guy named Graham Goldsworthy. He has several books. He also has a book that's called uh, uh, the Goldsworthy Trilogy or something like that, which is three books that are actually all also biblical theologies, a little meteor book. But that's a good sort of distillation of it. I read it in seminary. Man, it was a it's a great um, introductory to to biblical theology and understanding the larger narrative of of scripture and how little sections of scripture play into bigger themes um, across the whole Bible. It's not a crazy long book. It's, you know, it's probably 180 pages, maybe 250, somewhere in that range or whatever, but it's not like one of these things that you go, well, it's ambitious. I'm never going to read it. Like, because I've got tons of books like that that you get and you're like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to read through this thing. And you don't, um, it's very doable. Okay. Um, Another one that is great is J.I. Packer's Concise Theology. Um, I love J.I. Packer. He's one of my favorite um, writer, pastor, theologians. He wasn't really a pastor. Most of the time he was not connected directly to a church, usually um, academic institutions. But but he, um, man, just wise, uh, 
broad in the good sense, right? Um, gospel centered, um, um, not getting off the road into the minutiae of doctrinal controversies, like keeping the main thing, the main thing and trying to benefit the church, um, in a reformed context. He's Anglican, but in a, in a reformed, um, tradition of the faith context, um, very well. I was, um, just one of those little chance encounters. Um, when I started seminary, um, I went to a preview day at Southern Seminary and I couldn't even define what reformed meant. Like I was going to Southern because they were Baptist and old. That was why I picked Southern or at least why I was looking at it because I was like, yeah, it's a flagship seminary. It's been around forever. That seems cool. And then I was like, and then they're Baptist. I think that's what I'm going to do. Um, uh, and the campus was pretty. Um, yeah. Um, and, and so I was at there at their, their visitor day and I sat down at a table with this guy. His name was Tracy Sullins. He's from North Greenville College and he was looking to seminary too. And he was like, so like you're reformed and stuff and a Calvinist, right? And I was like, I don't know what those words mean. <laughs> and he was like, Oh, okay. Uh, and I was like, yeah, but you know, I love Jesus and I want to serve him. And he was like, oh, well, that's good. And, um, and so we went about our business and went about campus tours and yada, yada, yada. And there was going to be a point later on in the evening where there was a, again, everybody was in the same place at the same time. And at that, at the end of the evening, he walked up to me and said, Hey man, I bought you a book. And he'd gone to the, the bookstore and bought me J.I. Packer's Concise Theology. And it has been an invaluable tool ever since. Um, and so I don't even know what happened to that dude. Um, he did not end up coming to Southern. And so I was friends with him on Facebook for a time, but anyway, but, but he gave me that book and it's, it's great. It has little one to two page, um, write-ups about individual topics in theology. And so there's all kinds of, it's very devotional level. Um, it's, but, but good content, you could use it devotionally. You get up every morning and read one chapter out of it and it wouldn't, I mean, it's really good. So, um, and it's Jay Packer and he's super solid and gospel hearted. So those would just be two little books that obviously there is an entire industry of, of theology publications at your fingertips, uh, through bookstores and Amazon and the internet. But, but those would be two great places to start. Questions, comments, concerns. Lots. Now, there's lots of things you shouldn't read. Um, 